Great chiropractors and physical therapists are under constant pressure of declining insurance reimbursements and long hours. But did you know there's a way to double your profit without working more? By building a gym onto your practice, you can earn more income, stabilize your business, and be a hero to your family, patients, and team. It's a big undertaking with a huge reward. Dr. Josh Satterley has done it, changed his life, and now wants to help you do the same. Welcome to Clinic Gym Radio. Hey, thanks for coming on the show, Jeff. How are you? I am doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on. Been pumped to chat. <laughs> awesome. Well, for uh, listeners out there, we're talking to Jeff Langmaid right now from The Evidence-Based Chiropractor. Uh, are you the evidence-based chiro- chiropractor? There's only one in the nation and you're it? Allegedly, that, that would be the case. <laughs> there are many evidence-based chiropractors, but there are, there's only one, the evidence-based chiropractor. <laughs> That's yeah, you need to uh, treat it like when the, the offensive, uh, you know, when they introduce the offensive line on the, you know, uh, Patriots and they say like the Ohio State University, right? That's it, man. I am. It's like the, the, the T-H-E. It's what it's all. It's the differentiator. That's right. Awesome. Now, uh, Jeff runs the evidence-based chiropractor. And can you give us an idea of what that really is? It's a it's basically a service for chiropractors, right? But what is it made up of? Yeah, so evidence-based chiropractor basically is, in my opinion, it's where research meets marketing. So um, we'll probably talk about it during during our during our chat here. But you know, research is cool. I like it. I can kind of geek out on it. But like, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. I'm just going to make up words right now. When like interglucanase goes down 0.02 percent in some muscle tissue, like that doesn't have any context. So for me, it's about taking what is the best available research and then showcasing it in a way that people can actually understand. And with that, kind of our, our niche with the evidence-based chiropractor is really using that to build relationships with other healthcare providers in your community. So we've been doing it longer than anybody else. We do it better than anybody else, but that's really our focus. We have some posters and postcards and kind of products for docs offices as well, but uh, it's all about research and marketing where the two meet. That's awesome. So what you're trying to do is bring the research to the doctor so he understands kind of he or she understands what's progressing but then also uh you're kind of answering the question of why the hell does it matter right that's that is the case and that's it's it's funny that you say it that way because it's i i am fortunate that i get to speak at chiropractic conferences all over the place and i'll go up and i'll be like you know here's the these 10 research articles that like are award-winning papers from non-chiropractic focused journals like annals of internal medicine spine the spine journal all these crazy things British Medical Journal. And I'm like, how many people in here know about this study? And to me, it's like a landmark thing. And like two out of 250 or three out of 500 docs hands go up. And I'm like, how the hell do you think the primary care docs and other people in your community know about this if you don't? And it's not an indictment of them, but it's a, it's, it, it tells the story on the, the great divide between the application of it and its production. So that's what I try to bridge the gap with for sure. Very cool. Now, now, how did you get into that? I mean, were you just sitting there in, in a dark, uh, in a dark room in a basement of a, of a, you know, library one day reading research articles and uh, not going bowling with your friends and deciding, hey, uh, this is what I'm going to make into my life or what? Like, tell me the story of how this started, because yeah, it's most people don't, don't make that jump. Yeah, way more pragmatic. So I practiced, I've been an associate, I own my own clinic, and then I've 
practiced with a couple pretty large multidisciplinary groups, like groups that had ortho, orthopedic surgeons, neurosurgeons, um, and all that kind of stuff. So the bottom line is this, is I joined my first multidisciplinary group. I'm all pumped. I'm like, these guys have infinite patients. They're like hospital-based group with 12 clinics. I'm running one of these satellite clinics. Can't wait to get started. I show up on day one and there's like legit tumbleweeds rolling through like the front area. And I'm like, okay, this is not what I expected. So I do what any chiropractor would do. I say, okay, well, I'm going to go start marketing this practice. That took about 0.01 milliseconds for their marketing team to be like, hold up, cowboy. You can't just do whatever you want. You're part of like this big brand now. So I'm like, this is an interesting. Uh, wow, yeah, this is interesting. Thank you. So I can't market my practice externally necessarily the way that I would like to or the way that I know how to because they're so concerned about brand assets and how it's being utilized and they didn't have anything that spoke about chiropractic. So I'm like, this is crazy. So I started going to Grand Rounds or Spine Conference, which were like weekly hospital meetings um, with all the spine-related providers in the group um, and learning that they were making clinical decisions based upon what they were seeing in the research. And I was like, huh, light bulb moment. That's interesting. And like, literally, I was like every other chiropractor. I'm like, I wonder if there's good chiropractic research. I have no idea. So I started looking into it, found that the breadth and depth of that research was far greater than I ever could have anticipated, started showcasing it to them, built my practice internally, thought then to myself again, wow, I wonder if this will work with the primary care doctors in the area. And I, I like pregnancy care. So midwives, doulas, OBGYNs, that kind of thing. And it worked. And then I started to say to myself, wow, I wonder if this would help other chiropractors. So that's kind of the long road. That was like over a half decade ago, which makes me feel really old to say that at this point. But that was a little while back, but that was the impetus for where it got started. So it was strictly pragmatic. I wanted to grow my practice and I basically learned how in that fashion. Wow, that's awesome. Now, can you? T- what was the first article that you read that was like, where you said that there, you were surprised at the breadth and depth of the research? What was the first one that cued you off, maybe outside of um, a, a journal specifically having to do with uh, chiropractic, but that, you, that really impressed you and said, holy crap, here's, a, here's proof that what we do works? Um, I think there's a couple things that, that you know, kind of come to mind immediately. One was an article, I won't be able to cite the month right now, but it was uh, surgical microdisectomy versus chiropractic care and outcomes at one, two, and five years, and they were the same. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so you can have surgery for a disc pressing on a nerve root causing foraminal stenosis and sciatica or radiculopathy. You can have surgery for that, or you can have you know, chiropractic adjustments for that. And you're going to be the same once you get like a long-term result. So that was really interesting. And that was like in a top tier research publication. I think it was in spine, but don't hold me to it. And then probably another one that was a big one more on the primary care aspect. And it's also about context, right? So I didn't bring that to the surgeons and were like, Hey, look, I'm better. You know what I mean? Like it was, it's all about, again, finessing the context of for the, maybe for them, those challenging cases that they were on the fence on whether or not they wanted to go in. Those cases where they felt a little gray and not as comfortable. Great opportunity to showcase, hey, send them over to me and let's see what we can do. I'll keep you informed, go through the process, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like this person's going to get a great outcome and it saves them from having a, a poor patient satisfaction or a poor, poor outcome for sure. So uh, another one that comes to mind would be when... Um, 
in, our, in an RCT, a randomized clinical trial, randomized controlled trial of um, chiropractic adjustment, spinal manipulation versus NSAIDs, like a diclofenac or something like that. And, you know, adjustments just wiped the floor with it. So, I mean, this was a couple of years back, obviously, again. So this is like pre kind of the opioid thing, pre the new guidelines saying don't prescribe NSAIDs as the first line. So every primary care doc, and they're still doing it, but every primary care doc is just prescribing <laughs> NSAIDs typically as that first line defense. Sure. And like chiropractic in this case, just completely wiped the floor. Clinically significant, statistically significant, patient satisfaction. And it was like, 75% of the people had complete relief or significant improvement in the chiropractic group, what I'll call the chiropractic group. And like 75% in the standard medical care group got like worse. So, you know, it just was like, it didn't make it, it was almost nonsensical when I'm looking at it. I'm just like, this is absolutely insane. So, you know, and again, that was either in British Medical Journal or Spine. Um, I could, I could dig those out for sure. But so, those are two that so kind of what I picture is in that first one where you're saying, hey, uh, chiro versus microdisc or spinal manipulation versus microdisc, uh, at, at worst, they're even, right? And yep. At the best, the manipulation may be more effective. I picture you doing grand rounds with the surgeons and you start reading from, you know, spine and uh, they kind of hit it out of your hands. Like, get away, get rid of that trash. <laughs> that, that, that's, that's, that journal's new and no, never been proven. Uh, but the, uh, and then the second one is one of those things where, I mean, GPs, if they just stop for a, a minute, because, you know, I always, the goal of this podcast is to work with great, great chiropractors. And, you know, a lot of times we make these assumptions about other healthcare providers, but there is no surgeon I've ever met. And like, I've had dinner with seven of them in my town and all of them will tell you, Hey, I don't want junk cases. I don't want to be known as the guy that kind of gets people better. I want to hit home runs every day. And what that means is they have to tee up the right patient in that population. So in what taking the research that you just said, it'd be a pretty argument, a pretty easy argument to say, Hey, when it is in that gray area, like you stated, Let's, let's try a course of Cairo, and if they don't get better, that makes them a better candidate possibly for surgery, right? But if yeah. they get better, why would you incur that? That would have been a, you know, a, you're, you don't want to be Pete Rose with the uh, all-time leading singles hitter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think it's like failed back surgery syndrome. Everything's going to outcome-based reimbursement. I mean, I think there's a lot of things coming to a head with it where surgeons do want to be a little bit more um, picky and, 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 the, and rightfully so. And, and the other thing is nobody, especially a surgeon, uh, they don't like repeat customers. So, you know, when you start going on to this, you know, the treadmill, so to speak, on these cases that are maybe gray, I think there's a lot more tact being applied to it than maybe in the years past. But with that being said, I mean, surgery is still being performed at, at a rate that, you know, is, you know, more and more each year. Uh, I don't believe that there's more and more people necessarily, you know, of the population suffering some spine related complaints. So I think it's a great opportunity. I think it's a huge uh, eye opener. But I do think, you know, it does take some careful planning. It does take some tact. It does take a little bit of strategy to make sure that you're presenting the data in the research in a way that is supportive of what they're doing and offering your service as something that can help them and their patients, not in a combative fashion. And I think that the core, most marketing and most behavior change, and that's really what you're going through here is you're trying to market behavior change to a doctor, right? You're trying to say, Hey, I know you usually send these people to surgery, but I want you to send them to me. But the best way to do that in my experience has always been establish a relationship. Don't go there and say, Hey, you're wrong. I'm right. Let me show you the proof. Go there and try and establish a relationship. 
and then have some facts to back it up, which most people don't have. You know, they, they go out for lunch, but they don't ever prevent, present the evidence. And so what you're offering here is a method of saying, hey, let's go have lunch. You're going to meet me and know that I'm a good person and that the technique I do, spinal manipulation, also it can be more effective for your patients, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, we, we, we really go through a, a three-tiered approach and, and you absolutely started off on the right track. I mean, you know, MD meetings, as we call, I say MD just to shorten it down instead of saying all oh, healthcare provider, it's just not long. So, you know, right. it can be any healthcare professional, um, but MD meetings, one leg of the stool for sure. The other is updating through research consistently. We found one X a month being the best, keeping it short, keeping it sweet, keeping it actionable. And then the third leg of that stool being case notes. That's basically the social proof that you exist and uh, telling your uh, results through the patient. So when they can see progression from eval, reeval, and discharge from active care, they're seeing people are coming in and getting well, then they're getting touched as a value add to them with research each and every month showcasing something interesting and new, new unique, excuse me, because they're busy too. Like they're probably not catching like the latest in, in terms of what's going on. So that's a nice value add. And then, you know, absolutely the gas on the fire is the meeting. When you can build trust and rapport, when you can learn about what they're currently doing and then find how you can make things easier or better for them, not pound them over the head with chiropractic, you start to go a long way towards bridging that gap and building relationships. Yeah, I, I, it's people forget that often. And, and you know, the, the other thing with GPs is, like you said, they're, they're, they're so busy and most of the ones I've seen are overrun with patients and patient appointments. It's hard for them to see research, but you step back for a second. No young uh, uh, medical student ever said, Hey, the reason I'm going to into med school is so that I can only spend about three or four minutes with each patient. And I want to be, have this feeling of being rushed through, get lower insurance repayments and then pack my office with as many people as I can. The right. system has created that for them. So if you can come in with a breath of fresh air and say, let me show you some valuable information. Let me help you take, maybe take some patients off your plate so you're not so busy with a great referral, meaning, hey, I, I just don't know where to send this person. You say, hey, I'll take them. You know, you know, like, and trust me. And by the way, I'm going to send you, it's not a black hole you're referring to. What you're saying, Jeff, is once you have success with that person, share that with the doctor, right? They want to know that too, because they care about that person as well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from a, you know, from a process standpoint, we, uh, you know, we always recommend kind of a three-step approach as far as using, using the Socratic method and learning about what they're doing. So again, I agree with you. I mean, we kind of go through it in terms of, Hey, are you, you know, build your small talk for a few minutes, but then are you currently seeing, you know, a lot of spine related complaints, musculoskeletal care? I'm, I'm paraphrasing right now. Uh, Cause you know, 30% of their practice should be that but you don't know if they have a sister-in-law or a brother-in-law or something else that has a different last name that they're siphoning all spine to. So you want to find that out right off the bat so you don't waste time and energy. Number two is find out, well, what are you seeing more of? Start to get them to paint that patient picture, even if it's a little bit of everything. And then number three is, well, what's your current treatment protocol for those patients? What do you do for them? And that is really going to give you one of three things that we always find PT, NSAIDs, or referral to another MD or DO. So from there, now you have the information that you need to be able to identify where you, and there's a lot of creative ways. Obviously, we go through it in unbelievable detail at the Evidence-Based Chiropractor, but there's some creative ways and some simple ways where you don't need to be charismatic, you don't need to be outgoing, but you can just kind of lay out, you know, here's where other docs that we have relationships with have had a frustration. So they're saying NSAIDs, hey, a lot of other docs we work with also start with NSAIDs. Here's where they've had a frustration. 
And here's where they really love utilizing our office. So that kind of model seems to work very well. Then informing them about the specifics of your practice, you know, that opens up the box. So then after you learn, you know, what are they doing? What are they seeing? How can you help them? Then on the back end of that conversation, you can start talking about any, you know, specialization that you perform in your practice, which can kind of set you apart from a differentiation standpoint. So uh, that's kind of the way we've gone about it, and and hundreds of docs through the through the program's been super successful. So I agree, trust and rapport is key in making sure that you have a nice line of communication. And the bottom line is, all the docs out there, you're doing the hard work every day, using your body and busting your butt to get patients well. So showcase it. Don't not send. Uh, do not not send case notes when when you're doing all this hard work to get patients well make sure that you're obtaining the primary care doctor information for the patients that are coming in. I see a lot of offices that shoot like 50%. They just have it. And if it doesn't get filled out, they're like, eh, whatever. Well, you're missing like at least two to three touch points because eval, reeval, and discharge from active care in your stats and data as far as who's popular is going to stink if you only have 50% of the information. So you should be shooting 90% on gathering that data, but as far as the primary care information is concerned. And then the secondary component is when the patient gives you the ability to, obviously within like HIPAA and all that fun stuff, when they give you the ability to share that information, which again, I think you want to be shooting 90% plus, that's a huge, huge win towards showcasing the hard work that you're doing every day. We'll be right back with the rest of the interview with Jeff Langmaid after this. Are you a chiropractor or physical therapist working long hours, worrying about lower repayments and missing out on quality time with your family? You can double your income without working more hours by adding a gym to your practice. Clinic Gym Hybrid Solutions has a step-by-step guide that dramatically simplifies and speeds up the addition of a fitness center and its monthly recurring revenue. In just six months, you can be on your way to freedom. Visit clinicgymhybrid.com today for a free downloadable PDF and complimentary consultation to get you started. That's clinicgymhybrid.com. Describe a little bit for your, for the doctors listening, what is your what is your program? What does it involve and include and everything? Because we want to work with the best in the world. And if you're helping them get better, sharpening their sword, man, I'm all for it. So share, share a little bit about your program. Cool. Yeah, thanks. So basically... Uh, All right, that's enough. Thanks a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's this thing. Is that is that accurate? So, um, so the program uh, essentially the program helps guide you know chiropractors towards building those relationships. So. There's, you get monthly research that's white labeled with all of your practice information. So there's nothing that says it's coming from the evidence-based chiropractor. So we give you kind of that done for actionable piece of research each and every month that you can kind of distribute. On top of that, what we go through uh, inside the members vault is there's videos to show how do you like, let's, because we didn't even start here, but how do you even know who to reach out to? Like, how do you build a target list? So we go through in video format with reports, templates, and guides for every single thing I'm going to say, basically go through, how do you build a target list? How do you verify that list? How do you go through setting up a meeting? What's some sample scripting? As I tell every doc, there's no magic with any of the scripting. We just try to be as simple as efficient as possible. So it's not, you know, overtly salesy. No doc should feel uncomfortable and I've never heard it. We break it down to be super simple because that's what we found to be the most valuable. So how do you find docs that you want to reach out to? What are the tools and resources you can utilize? Percentage of PCP versus specialists, all that fun stuff's on the front end. 
How do you go about verifying that list not to waste time and money? How do you set up uh, an MD meeting and follow up appropriately as we kind of discussed briefly there, but go into the real nuts and bolts, not anything somebody has to remember a 10 minute script, but really dig deep into the concepts and what you're trying to find out and learn about where your practice can add that value regardless of what their answer might be. Or if you can't provide value, then that's okay too. Like you might not match up with everybody. And then from there, utilizing that research as a consistent follow-up piece and supplementing with the case notes as we talked about. So what's an efficient template to have for a case note, what to include, what not to include, when and how to send it. All of that's included in the members vault. Everybody that comes on board, I do you know basically a 30-minute implementation call to make sure that they are 100% uh, on board with uh, with to how they can get started, answer any questions, anything like that. And again, all of that has reports, templates, guides, Excel spreadsheets, and video components as well um, to make sure it's not, oh, that sounds like a lot. It's not like a million downloads. It's five different modules to make sure that everybody comes on board can actually get up and running as quickly and as easily as possible. Then we have, a, obviously, we have a Facebook group online. Can for, I jump in real quick, Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Uh, thanks, man. Uh, so, you know, this sounds like a whole lot of information. I'm sure it sounds like drinking from a fire hose. But what you're saying is, and I want to put this in perspective, I would guess, and from my experience, you don't need to do this with a bunch of doctors. I mean, literally, if you have great relationships with like three to five doctors in your area, GPs, and maybe one uh, spine surgeon, whatnot, you're going to end up with probably a completely full practice, more business than you could ever handle, right? I mean, yes. How many do you think that, how many relationships do they need to build? I don't think it needs to be very many. I think a handful of solid relationships can ease up your marketing spend in other places dramatically and also has a massive amount of longevity. And the other thing is if, if, you know, uh, if Dr. Uh, Dr. Yang says, Hey, you need to schedule with Jeff, the, you know, when people complain about new patients not showing up, it basically goes to zero, right? Almost every one of those referrals will show up and uh, they're, they're no longer concerned about price. They're no longer concerned about location. They're no longer concerned about hours. When they get a referral from who they perceive to be their, their uh, point person in healthcare, it eliminates a lot of the logistical issues that most chiropractors face about getting that person in the door actually for that first appointment, right? Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, um, I'll say it even simpler. Compliance is exceptional. <laughs> Thank so. you. That that uh, that cleaned up <laughs> uh, three three word sentence there. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so so you have all these techniques there, and what you're looking at is I don't know. I, you start out and you just have some ammunition. You feel confident about it. You go approach a couple people, provide some value to them, right? Open the relationship with value, 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 um, and over time, build a great relationship with some. Uh, some referral sources, these doctors, and also help them out as best you can. And you're also polishing your techniques. You're realizing, uh, because I'm sure that, that you, every month, you probably provide an article or two that people go, oh man, I totally thought that was, uh, I thought that would work. You know what? We should do a little Mythbuster edition here in a second, but finish out talking about your program and then we'll move into bust some myths. How about that? 
Yeah, that sounds great. So, um, I mean, that, that, that was really the program. I mean, we go month to month, so I'm not trying to hold any, any chiropractors, you know, hostage as far as that concern. I want to make sure that they're getting the, the most out of it. We've had members, you know, kind of come on board literally from Hong Kong, Ireland, Mexico, U.S., obviously, Canada, Puerto Rico, uh, United Kingdom. So it's really spanned the gamut, Australia, New Zealand, et cetera. So it's, it's been awesome. Like I, I, the group is, is great. Obviously, the docs have a pretty diverse practice style. Like I have some docs that are solo, some docs that are in big multi-doc practices and, you know, kind of different applications, but all have the universal item of wanting to, to kind of bridge the gap and build that relationship. And even some of them, to be quite honest with you, they just love what they get that they're going to give out. Like, you know, they're happy. They got a couple of relationships. They're happy with it, but they just love getting a, a single piece every single month where they know they can be a little bit more confident and apply it with their patients in their practice as well. So I think it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been cool. I love doing it. And um, we're constantly evolving, constantly improving. Um, and that's and just, just out of curiosity, how many different sources are you guys uh, distilling down to that monthly article? Are you looking at, you know, 20 different journals or 10 different journals and are they all, all about spine or manipulation or are you looking in, you know, journal of classic surgery or, yeah. you know, these outwardly, uh, these kind of out of bounds ideas. So it is always, <laughs> that's a, that's okay. So the sidelines are, are kind of defined as I just, what, what will matter to them. And when I mean them, what I mean is, um, we stay in the middle. So I'm not going to do any research paper that's like this unbelievably obscure chiropractic technique that's not going to be applicable to the, the meat of, you know, the docs that are, you know, obviously on board. But really our focus is I love to touch on um, different symptoms. So I love to touch on a little bit, of obviously, low back, neck, headache, extremity. I love to touch on that. And then I like to keep it sort of anything that is relevant and actionable to the providers that the docs are going to be giving it to, 75% primary care internal medicine, GPs. And then the second criteria, so is it actionable to the audience we're giving it to? And then pull it back one more and say, I want to make sure that all of my docs on board also can utilize this. So we try not to get too extreme in, in terms of technique or application, um, which is easy to do. I mean, it's easy to stay in the middle of the road. So that's kind of the way we go about it. Now, I will say every month we touch on actually one single peer-reviewed study because we do not want to blast these guys at the fire hose like I kind of did earlier with a million things. So we want to keep it exceptionally focused. And that's why that monthly research brief is actually a single page PDF. And that is that way for a reason. It focuses on one paper, puts it into a very actionable format, and it can be read in under a couple minutes. And that is what ensures that it gets through the noise and that it also is taken action, has taken uh, action taken upon it. Yeah, because if I walk into anybody's office and I say, hey, I got 19 research articles right here and I pile them up on your desk, you should read these. They, they really apply to what you do. It, it's, number one, it's overwhelming. You're not, you've now said, I'm no longer dealing with a human. I'm trying to deal with a robot. And that's just not how people react, right? I mean, the, the best part about the evidence-based chiropractor program is that you are honoring the fact that these are people and they are people who also happen to be medical providers. And so you got to make it simple. You got to make it approachable and you got to have that relationship. But when you do, 
now you'll have success. But anybody that tries to do more than one page and, you know, these guys are busy. They got guys and girls, they, they have, sorry, women and men, they have busy practices. They have tons of patients. They have families, they have activities, they have their church, they have their, you know, anything else they're doing, the rotary club. And so that one page PDF that's concise, clear, easy to read is just like a breath of fresh air. And it can link back to a peer reviewed journal article that if they want to read the, you know, 14 pages, they can, but maybe there's no need to. Yeah. Yeah. We always break it out into three pieces. So we have it clearly cited. We have some charts and graphs that are easy just to see like the gist of like, what are we trying to showcase here? There's usually two paragraphs, two to three paragraphs that are actionable. Like what is this and why does it matter to them? And then we pull a few select direct quotes from the paper as well. So that's really the way we go about it. And again, it's like kind of white labeled, meaning that all of our providers, the Kairos, their logo, their practice information, phone number, address is all in the header and the footer. So it looks clean. It looks elegant. And I couldn't agree more. It's like it is all about the people game. I'm going to go on a little bit of an aside right now, but it's something I've been thinking about. Go, baby. Go. It's like we, you know, we'll have these people like, we all take care of people, right? So you have patients that come into your practice. Maybe you've been there one month. Maybe you've been there one year. Maybe you've been in practice five or 10 years. So you've treated all these people. You've taken care of all these people. And there's like literally almost every chiropractor probably can, if I said, is there a medical doctor within your building or on the street that you practice on? Probably like, yeah, I mean, I know, I, I roll, roll by a few on the way to practice, whatever. And it's like, how many of those people do you know? It's like, like from chiropractors, like, I don't know, like one or two. I'm like, it is insane to think about just human being. Let's just human being think about this. So it's like a doctor, there's two different doctors. They take care of potentially tens, hundreds, or even thousands of the same people over the course of, you know, five years, 10 years, a career, and they never meet each other or know what the other really does. It's absolutely like mind blowing to me that that exists. But I think from a lot of chiropractors, I'll just say it. I think there's a lot of you know, a little bit of intimidation. It can be scary, like a little bit of the unknown. Maybe they did a lunch and they didn't get what they wanted out of it because they didn't have a good plan or strategy. And they just kind of felt like, oh, if I'll shoot from the hip, I'll just figure it out. I think there's a lot of factors that go into that in time, right? Where everybody's busy. Yeah, I, I got to say too, I don't think, I don't think there's ever been a better time to be a chiropractor. And I don't think there's ever been a time where we are, we have the mainstream stream acceptance we do now. I don't think it's enough. I think we got to work towards having more mainstream acceptance, but a lot of the younger, especially a young doctor that's, you know, between graduated med school and somewhere between 30 and 37 years old, an MD or DO or your local, um, heck, even now people are seeing their PA or their nurse practitioner as their, as their primary point person. A lot of those people, in my experience, over the last five years have become very accepting of, of uh, co-treating and the use of chiropractors and physical therapy and anything and everything they can because they're realizing they can't keep their arms around it. And most of the time when I, the last couple of years when I've gone in to have meetings with doctors and I say, hey, I'm a chiropractor, I, you don't get the weird looks anymore. Ten years ago when I started in the practice, you got weird looks. Now, especially some of these people under the age of 40, they're like, okay, cool. And it's just, you know, it's, it's, if you're good, the license, they don't really care about the license. What they care about is, are you going to treat my people? Well, do you seem to know what you're talking about? Do you have some confidence? And do I truly believe that you're going to provide care that can positively impact this person? And once you demonstrate those things, I don't think that there's any stigma about being a chiropractor and, and that should give, you know, those, especially those young doctors out there, the young DCs, a lot of confidence because 
you're entering a profession that is starting to kind of grow and get out of its, its um, kind of tight uh, area of practice and starting to grow in a way that's accepted throughout all medical, you know, all medical, uh, uh, what am I saying? All medical systems, right? right? And we don't yet have hospital privileges everywhere, but we are starting to see a lot more hospital privileges in a lot of places like VAs and whatnot. So anyways, that was my little diatribe, Jeff, but I'll let you keep running there. I, I just, God, I hear these people that are just don't have confidence in the fact that they're a chiropractor. I'm like, dude, own it. It's, it's, you know, there's never been a better time right now. Like it is growing and what the per- public perception of us is it, we have the opportunity to make it higher, but it certainly is at a high point right now. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with everything you said. I think I'm going to climb off my soapbox now. Sorry, man. Yeah, I think it's it's well said. I think it is it, it's a it's a good time to to get out there. The doors have never been more open, but there still is massive opportunity. So to me, you can't ask for any more than that. Yeah, and I mean, there you know, people. Oh well, uh, you know, they have a perception of what chiropractic is. Good, work your ass off to change it. Go in there as the smartest, best in the world, and five years later, their perception will be of you. Right. Like you can't change the past, but you know what can you do moving forward? And having evidence backing you up, like Jeff's service provides, is it's it's armor. It's it's walking into that that knife fight with armor on. You know, like it, you got to do it, man. You got to sign up, anyways. All right, Jeff, let's play a little game here because I don't want to keep going down this road because I'm going to start throwing things around my office and whatnot <laughs> here but, uh, and screaming at the computer and, you know, that just won't be good podcast. But let's, let's maybe bust a couple myths. I mean, let's, so you are the research guy. You're going off of evidence-based, meaning there are, you know, somebody ran a lot of people through, took, you know, tracked the metrics and found out what truly works. And I just want to challenge a couple ideas or make a couple assumptions and I want you to beat me up about them, all right? Okay. All right, cool. So, um, let's see, trying to think of a good one. All right. So, uh, MRIs, right. Yeah. I I personally have a pretty significant uh, disc herniation. So if I get an MRI saying, Hey, you have a disc herniation. My thought, even, even knowing what I know as a chiropractor, I think that at some point I, I need a surgery. I need to have surgery. It's just, you know, it's, I can't avoid it. Um, and, and as good as chiropractic is, it's not going to be good enough for me. Is that true? That is false. I wish I had like a bell. That'd be cool. So that's or false. Bu- like, like a buzzer. Like a, like a, like a, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so false. Yeah. The, the bottom line is we see it all the time, right? People come in, they might have a little bit of challenge in their neck or their low back. Maybe they have a little bit of sciatica or radiculopathy, kind of like we talked about earlier. And maybe, you know, they kind of are, they're doing a little bit better, but they're going to see their primary care at the same time. Pretty common, right? Their primary care is like, oh, you need to get an MRI. And then they get the MRI and the MRI comes back and, oh my gosh, I say that facetiously, there's a disc herniation into a little bit of the canal, which is obviously why they came in to see in the first place. And what does their primary care doctor do quite often? Oh boy. Got big disc herniation there. You're going for injections, and I think surgery might be in your future. And and I'll tell you what, as a sidebar to that as well, I've actually seen, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, I've seen some chiropractors that got ants in their pants when an MRI confirmed that there was a disc herniation as well. Now, you got to take each patient individually, use your exam findings, and make your best professional judgment. But the bottom line is the research shows time and time again that with cervical disc herniations, lumbar disc herniations, 
that chiropractic is outperforming nerve root injections when done head to head and actually has, there's been a research paper that actually showcased equal improvement long-term when compared with a surgical microdiscectomy. So what I say is before anybody thinks about injections or before anybody thinks about surgery, they absolutely should be exploring chiropractic care, manipulation, adjustments, however you want to define that, because the research stands behind it. Now, you brought up a good point. Okay, so I was wrong. Uh, I'll take my licks, but I'm going to get you next time. Uh, just out of curiosity, when you see these ones talking about spinal manipulation, they don't typically use the words chiropractic adjustment, right? And this is spinal manipulation. Is that care being performed by chiropractors or PTs, or how do they kind of standardize what they're actually doing? Depends on the study. Um, so th- many studies use spinal manipulation or spinal manipulative therapy, SMT. Some studies use chiropractic manipulation. And so those are what you're going to see most often. Adjustment, obviously, is really the nomenclature within the chiropractic profession. So it's very rare you're going to see that. But you will see chiropractic manipulation. In that case, I've never seen a paper that that wasn't performed by a chiropractor, as you can probably insinuate. For the SMT, for the, or SM, the spinal manipulation, what I do see is a little bit of a mixed bag. So sometimes that's performed by a chiropractor. Sometimes it's performed by a physio and rarely it's performed by a DO. Now, what I say about that, and this is going to, I'm going to get a little, I'm going to get a little aggro here. What I say about it is I actually, I don't like this. I wish it was all done by Cairo, but I actually get a little bit of jump in my step when I see it was performed by an osteopath or a physio because I feel like actually the results of those papers would be way better if a chiropractor is doing it. I'm probably saying that out of a little bit of an ego. There are probably some great physiotherapists, physical therapists that are absolute top tier adjusters no matter what. And there are some chiropractors that are fantastic adjusters and chiropractors that are not so great adjusters. So don't get me wrong there. But what I'm saying is that nobody, this is unequivocal, nobody has as much training as chiropractors do performing a manipulation or an adjustment. So to me, the natural next step is when a chiropractor is performing it, that should be the best result given, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think the other thing, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, PTs are trying to take away our, uh, our you know, they're, they're adjusting too, and they're trying to do this and, and people are getting all worked up about it. Number one, you're never going to be successful, in my opinion, you're never going to be successful at attempting to limit or take things from other people. I mean, like, that's essentially what, you know, dictators of countries like Saddam Hussein tried to do is limit your, your freedom. And it just doesn't work out long term. So if PTs want to do it, you know, I don't, I don't think the greatest plan is trying to limit them from that. But what you should look at is what we have, this tool we have that we've been trained, like you're saying, higher than anybody is so great that multiple other professions are saying, hey, we want to use that tool as well. Because we see how powerful it is. We see how effective it is. You know, we, we got a really jump on this bandwagon and, and learn how to do that. But the good news is we're already, you know, decades ahead of them in our training and, you know, they're probably going to catch up over time, but they're validating the, the fact that, you know, chiropractic therapy is fantastic, you know? Absolutely. So let me run another myth by you, uh, moving on. So I don't get back up on that soapbox, but 
Hey, let me uh, give you, let me give you one more point on that. Here, right, here, cool. I want to pull it outside of chiropractic because sometimes it gets a little bit like, oh, is there ego now? So here's the deal. If, if, if somebody needed, if you, not you literally, but anybody out there listening, if you needed spinal surgery, would you want to go to a neurosurgeon or the orthopod on call at the hospital that just happened to be there? He probably knows how to do spine surgery. He's going to do it in a pinch, but would you, wouldn't you probably rather go to the guy who really focuses on that, has the best training and expertise in it? Again, that orthopedic guy on call, he might be, luck of the draw, he might be the best spinal you know, uh, surgeon in the county for yeah. all you know. Mm-hmm. But by and large, I think the assumption would be you'd rather go to, this is a loaded word, the specialist. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I think that's a fantastic point. And, and we are that highly trained specialist in that situation. So another myth that I think uh, I, w- I want to challenge you on. So everybody listening, this is, we have great clinicians and I'm encouraging them to add a gym because I think they can serve their patient population so much better. And, you know, because exercise is a great component of care. Right. So my assumption is exercise is fantastic for everybody and everybody should be exercising and we should get everybody exercising as much as we can in our gym. What do you think? Yes, to a point. So I'll split hairs a little bit on that one. I 100% agree. Active care, extremely important. What you have been up to with kind of adding on the, the gym, you know, from an active care perspective, obviously from a business perspective, I think is just genius and awesome. All right, we can end the podcast there. Jeff, you heard it. I want to thank everybody for coming. No, I'm just kidding. Go on. Um, So here's the catch, though, is that actually what's been shown in the research and the literature is that there is a break-even point. So meaning this is there are some individuals, when you start getting into really aggressive exercise, you know, long durations, high loads, this kind of thing, it actually doesn't, I'm gonna, and I'm going to get a little bit loose on my terms here, but it really almost doesn't start to you know, boost performance, but it actually starts to take away. So, and, and that's because aggressive exercise over a long period of time, and I mean episode, like long episodes, not meaning long period of time, like you know, 10, 10 years of exercise, that's good. But like but a 90-minute I mean, like, training session. Was, yeah, if you just go like, if you're going all crazy for like four and six hours a day or something like that, I'm being obviously a little facetious with that, but some extreme amount per day, it actually has the ability to- Well, you to, just described uh, anybody training for an hour. Yeah, it's like- it, it engages your, you know, the, the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight part of things, which rest and recovery sits on the parasympathetic side. So when you're spending, a, you know, the more time that you spend with your parasympathetic nervous system engaged, that can actually become a challenge to your body. Obviously, this falls in with immunity. It falls in with performance and all of that fun stuff. So it can actually become become a challenge. And I think all of us out there have also seen, I'm going to kind of make a little bit of a, uh, a, a joke here. I hope nobody takes it the wrong way. But all of us have also seen, you know, some of some some of these CrossFit gyms that become what I call new patient generators for chiropractic clinics. So, you know, so it's like, you know, I, I think there's... Um, you know, with that being said, but that's where I think there's a great opportunity as you do and you speak about to, hey, when we can provide this in a little bit more of a controlled fashion, when we can utilize it for, you know, active care and rehab, when we can have it for performance, when we can have it for, you know, kind of additional you know, verticals and revenue offerings within there and provide a little bit more control and a little bit more structure for some of these individuals, 
that to me is a massive win. But if you have like, you know, you know, Joey weekend warrior who tries to work out six hours, you know, six hours a, a day on Saturday and Sunday and nothing during the week, uh, that can be a little bit of a stressful situation on their body. Yeah. Wow. All right. So I'm negative one on the first one. I got half a point positive on the second <laughs> one, but all right, this is where I'm going to take you. Are you ready? Yep. A lot of people, especially those who, who believe in the, you know, integrated clinic and gym model use taping techniques. Now, I don't want to get into the brand of tape, um, KT tape, kinesio tape, dynamic tape, and uh, and I think your favorite rock tape. Yep. But are those, my assumption is those work because they, you know, in the case of like a sprain strain, something like that, they help provide mechanical support. What do you think? Yes and no. So what we <laughs> can't beat you. So you gotta you gotta have you gotta have credit. So you gotta have credit. That's good. So um, so yes and no. So I will say right off the bat, I'll be very clear. I am not a you know guru expert, fully trained. There are probably a lot of listeners out there that have more experience with taping themselves than I do. So so you know I'll, I'm going to throw that out there. But what the research has shown, and where a lot of the interesting aspects of taping has gone on, as I've learned from some of the top taping individuals in the field, is it's both. It can provide a little bit of mechanical and structural support. There's an aspect to that. But the really interesting aspects are what's going on with the neurological components and the feedback mechanisms that tape give. And I believe that is where the taping industry is really starting to move towards. That neurofeedback of the tape seems to be of at least equal importance. I want to go out on a little bit of a limb on there, but I'm going to say at least equal importance to the fact that the tape is there quote unquote, holding stuff, and, you know, as it would be. So that's what I think is really actually very exciting and interesting is that traditionally, you know, let's say I'm going to examine, I'm going to be a little extreme, you know, back in the day, somebody, you know, puts a piece of tape on, it's like, how tight can I put this darn thing? Cause it's got to hold this thing, hold them that way and that and all that. But as time has gone on, I've seen that the taping uh, procedure and the way to apply it has gotten a lot less aggressive in terms of pull and that goes directly into the neurological feedback that's given by having it in the right place. Fantastic. Well, I mean, not fantastic that I lost a point or half <laughs> a point there, but that is interesting. You know, one of the things I always liked about tape was with those people we talked about in the previous thing, if they're that Ironman athlete or that marathoner that just won't stop, I love the fact that the tape stays with them 24-7 to remind them, hey, you have something going on here. Don't be stupid. You know, it's yeah. like a, it's like, Every time they see it or they touch it or somebody asks them about it, it's a little reminder, you know, of, oh, yeah, that I am getting treated for my knee pain or something like that. Because otherwise, if you don't have any external reminders, sometimes they forget that and they say, well, I cut my mileage down. I only ran 11 on Saturday. I was going to run, you know, 15. And you're like, that's not allowing for tissue regeneration. You know, like only 11 is not what we were looking for. But yep. I think it, it works well in that sense, too. Very cool. So, Jeff. Yeah, I, I appreciate I you using all the facts against me, but uh, this is the kind of stuff that, you know, would be a great conversation starter with other healthcare providers, right? And, and these, the information you send those three myths is exactly what the evidence-based chiropractor provides, right? Yeah, it's, it's about understanding what's going on and then how does it apply to the real world? Yeah, that's great. Well, 
the other the other reason I wanted you on, and if you can speak to this a little bit as we wrap up here, you know, I always tell people, if you can be perceived as the health expert in your area, and which you are in most of your patients' eyes already, you are an expert in there, and they appreciate all your information and your opinion, that umbrella can can span over multiple parts or multiple revenue streams where you can you can have a higher level of, you know, I would say if, if you went and bought supplements at Walmart, there's no way you'd pay as much as if you bought supplements in your doctor's office. It just doesn't, you know, that, that perception that's coming from your expert is worth a lot of, of uh, a lot more money in this case, a lot more value. And so if that umbrella goes over the fact that you own a gym as well, and that your training is your, your training is based on your knowledge as an expert there's a perception that that should be worth more. And so I always tell people, you got to maximize your license because it's tough. You're coming out of school with a lot of debt these days and, you know, you got the expenses of running an office. Why not have another revenue stream? But do you see that that's the case? Do you see that people can, that most chiropractors are not properly maximizing their license, whether it's through education like your product or adding a gym or other, other services? Yeah, I, it's to me. It's really about it's really about positioning. I mean, it's about how are you positioning yourself in your market, which means in your community. For most chiropractors, if you look at a circle of practice that's five to ten miles, let's say roughly, um, then really that's your audience. That's who is going. Now you can also sell supplements online and get into that. But I mean, in terms of a you know a physical presence, you're looking at a pretty tight window around you. And being able to establish yourself as an expert, as you said, and position yourself, well, that not only increases your available options to those patients within that circle of practice, but it actually touches back to what I just uh, kind of alluded to, which if at a certain point when you position yourself and you know, become an expert even beyond that circle of practice, now you open up even greater opportunities outside of that. But I 100% agree. I don't believe personally that it's always about expansion of scope. I believe it's about finding unique ways that we can utilize what we already know right now to be able to maximize revenue, to be able to help, you know, let me reverse this, to help as many people as possible, number one. And number two, you got to stay in business. So, you know, you might as well, you know, position yourself appropriately, position yourself as an expert and have the rewards of the value you deliver. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's right in line with what we believe. So I'm so glad I had you on today. Jeff, is there anything you want to, uh, where can people get a hold of you, number one? Or if they want to, if they want to look at your product, where, where should we send them? Yeah. So anybody can, can check me out at jefflangmade.com or at, uh, you know, the easiest place is just the evidencebasedchiropractor.com. So the evidencebasedchiropractor.com has all the information. There's free tools. If anybody wants to download just some, you know, handouts regarding how do you execute an MD meeting, kind of the, our quote unquote five secrets to MD referrals, things like that. It's all available for free there. You can hop over to the YouTube channel from there, hit us up on Facebook. We post stuff every day that's relevant to the healthcare land landscape, um, obviously Instagram, all that fun stuff. So evidencebasedchiropractor.com is the hub of all activity. And one other thing I'll say for the docs out there, they're still listening. You know, I focused a lot on provider relations, as I'd call it, that B2B marketing component. But there's another, uh, there's another thing that I'm involved in called the smart chiropractor. And that's really about utilizing very similar information, but for your patients and prospects and your community. So the tone is obviously different and the service delivery is a little bit different, but you can check that out at the smartchiropractor.com if you're interested more in growing your practice in your community and not necessarily with other healthcare providers. 
but I think you'd be remiss if you didn't at least entertain the idea, as we've kind of talked about, uh, bridging that gap and building that relationship very much as you have. And that's at Jeff. Uh, well, you can email me, Jeff, at theevidencebasedchiropractor.com or just check out theevidencebasedchiropractor.com. Well, Jeff, it's been, uh, it's been awesome talking to you, and thank you for busting the myths. I'm going to have to hustle next time to get some points back from you, I guess. But everyone, he is Jeff Langmaid, the, remember, the evidence-based chiropractor, not just a evidence-based chiropractor. He is the evidence-based chiropractor. So hit him up at his website. Uh, obviously, he's trying to push the profession forward, and we are 100% behind that because we need great chiropractors providing great patient care and doing it in a way that everybody wins. So this is Dr. Josh Satterley for Clinic Gym Radio. Listen, you gotta, you, <laughs> you gotta be great. And like Jeff said, you should make money doing it. So if you want to expand to add a gym to your clinic, we have the plan to do it. Visit us at clinicgymhybrid.com. And as we, as we go, Jeff, I can't say thank you enough, but uh, you have any last parting inspirational words for, for our friends who are out there with a DC license? Never been a better time to be a chiropractor. Go out there and get it. There you go. All right. Thank you so much, Jeff. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to Clinic Gym Radio. If you're ready to double your profit without working longer hours, please visit clinicgymhybrid.com and find out how easy it is to get started on your path to freedom. That's clinicgymhybrid.com.